Jimmy Carter. Gilligan's Island, a declarative sentence, and Jimmy Carter. That is not the title of my message this morning. That is a list of illustrations that I planned to share this morning during my message. Uh, However, if the first service is any indication, I will not get to two of the three. (laughs) So we'll see. In unity, there is strength. It's true in travel. And it's true of the church. The title of my message is The Christ-Centered Church. The Christ-Centered Church. A plea for unity. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That is on page 952 if you're using the Bible in front of you. 952, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. My name is Stephen Salvis. I am one of the elders here. And if you are a visitor this morning, thank you for choosing grace. And welcome here. It is our desire that uh, you find we love Jesus Christ uh, and that we desire, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to live like Jesus, being his hands and feet to one another and to our community. It's my privilege to preach uh, this morning, not just this morning, but I'm going to be doing a series of messages uh, for the plan is about uh, seven Sundays through the summer, and uh, if I'm going to complete what I hope to cover, which is the first six chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians, then I probably need to preach a little faster than I did this morning, Uh, or I'll need to add a few more Sundays on. at the end, which uh, Dennis says is okay. So I, I do appreciate that. But my, my goal is to uh, go, hopefully, and by God's grace and with his help, go verse by verse in these six chapters of First Corinthians, uh, really digging deep so that when you leave here each Sunday morning, you're going to have a really strong understanding of what Paul is trying to get across to the Corinthian believers. Now, the truth is, there are going to be some Sundays where uh, I take a more topical approach, but I I hope to be more exegetical in my preaching style for the most part. Uh, Again, pray for me as I uh, do that seriously, uh, because I'm excited about this, but um, there's a lot of time and study and prayer involved. So I will thank you for that. Would you look down at 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I'm going to read the first 17 
verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf, for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance, and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, verse 10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, it is such a privilege to stand before your people. Thank you for the morning. Thank you for voices to lift up in worship to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for grace, church. Please, Lord. May your Holy Spirit fill this room May he fill this building 
Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word and to the message. Challenge us today, this morning, Lord. Challenge us today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin, it's, it's um, from my perspective, it's important to understand why Paul wrote this letter and to whom he wrote this letter. Um, you need to know the back story because that back story is going to help us understand and open up the scriptures. So the uh, city of Corinth is a, a hub of commerce. It's uh, people were an eclectic mix of Romans and Greeks and Asians. The, the city was linked with wealth, and it was known for all things depraved. The Corinthians were a self-centered people. They had a reputation for materialism and an anything-goes philosophy of sex. As a matter of fact, if a woman was referred to as a Corinthian girl, she was being called a prostitute. And the Greek verb, Corinthiatsomai, Corinth, getting its name from the city, Corinthiatsomai, referred to the act of sexual sin. And it was to the people of this city that Paul writes this letter. He felt, he felt constrained in his spirit pressed in his spirit, the Bible says, to preach the word to these people, that Jesus is the Christ. And it's a strategic location for Paul to preach because as a commercial hub, shipping was a big industry. There was a shipping port there. So as sailors came in and heard the word, the word would spread to distant regions. So it's strategic for Paul. In Acts 18, you do not have to turn there, although if you want more of the backstory, please go to Acts 18 this afternoon or sometime this week and, and read about uh, Paul's visit to the city of Corinth during his second missionary journey. But Luke writes about uh, Paul's visit in Acts 18, and uh, it would be during uh, his uh, visit there during the second missionary journey when he's uh, visiting Corinth that he meets Aquila and Priscilla. Now those names should be familiar to you. Uh, at least, if not from uh, your own reading of the Bible, if you saw uh, Paul the Apostle of Christ movie, Aquila and Priscilla were in that movie. Uh, they were located in Corinth at the time of Paul's journey into Corinth. And uh, there was a connection there because, like Paul, they were tent makers by trade. They were Jews by ethnicity. And they were Christians by God's grace. And with that connection, Paul decides to put down some roots, albeit for only a year and a half, but Paul sets down some roots 
and begins to preach the gospel that Jesus is the Christ and his preaching is done in the synagogue. I'm going to have to get used to this. This is a first for me. There you go. Here's your background. Paul visits Corinth during his second missionary journey. He stays in Corinth for a year and a half. Then he goes to Ephesus. After a year and a half of preaching in the church, he starts out in the synagogue. He's kicked out of the synagogue. And he starts preaching in a a house church nearby. After a year and a half, he goes to Ephesus with Aquila and Priscilla. And they meet up with Apollos. And during their time in Ephesus, they instruct Apollos regarding the goings-on of the church. And then they send Apollos back to Corinth to preach and minister to the church there. Later, Paul receives a visit from a delegation at the church with questions. See, Paul wrote a letter to the church. He, he hears about some problems And he he writes a letter to the church that is completely misunderstood. And then it's later lost. So Paul then receives a visit from this delegation in Corinth with questions about uh, matters that need clarifying. We have questions about marriage. We have questions about food being sacrificed to idols. We have Questions about church decorum. Paul also receives a message from the household of Chloe. And this message says there are contentions, there are divisions within the church. So Paul writes a second letter. His second letter is known as 1 Corinthians in your Bible. Because his first letter was lost. So this letter here is his follow-up letter to the church addressing these problems that have been brought to him. And these questions that need clarification. Now what's interesting is the official delegation asked about certain matters that Paul waited to answer. Because it was the contentions in the church that concerned him most. So the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians deal with those contentions, deal with the divisions. And and in that uh, section of the letter, Paul pleads for unity among the believers. It's only in chapter 7 that he refers to their letter and the questions that they had. Now, in order to understand where we're headed, as I said, my my desire is to go verse by verse. And we're going to. But we're going to start at verse 10. Because in order to understand where we're headed, you need to understand where we're going. Verse 10 says this. Now, I beseech you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. 
and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Here's Paul's plea for unity right here. He has an introduction that's the first nine verses of the letter. Nine verses, there's an introduction. And in verse 10, he jumps into his message. Please, dear church, I beseech you, have unity. He says, speak the same thing. He's referring to uh, what he references in verse 12. We'll get there probably next week, but we'll get there. Speak the same thing. Focus your minds on one thing and one thing only, and that's the gospel. Have no divisions among you. Knock off the separating yourselves from one another. Knock off the silly disagreements and the petty arguing. Be perfectly joined together in mind and thought. Perfectly joined together is a, uh, that, that's a, a term, it's, it's like a medical term, and it talks about the mending of a broken bone perfectly so that it heals prof- properly without any notice of a break before. In unity, there is strength. It's true in travel, and it's true of the church. Look back at verse 1. Everything in verses 1 through 9 build up to verse 10. Everything. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Paul immediately jumps into the defense of his apostleship. He uh, feels the strong need to uh, defend his authority in even writing the letter. And he says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. This is not of Paul's own merit. It's God's doing. There are people in the church who oppose Paul's ministry. So Paul jumps in immediately to defend his authority and his apostleship. And then he mentions someone by the name of Sosthenes. And again, if you read Acts chapter 18, you'll be introduced to a man named Sosthenes. There is no indication that this is the same. But let me tell you a little bit about the Sosthenes in Acts 18. uh, And you decide if it may be the same one or not. When Paul visited Corinth and he was preaching in the synagogue, he got thrown out and he started preaching in a house church. There was a man named Sosthenes who was the chief ruler of the synagogue who didn't like that Paul was preaching that Jesus is the Christ. So he had Paul charged and brought before the Roman governor in hopes that he would be found guilty and put in jail. The Roman governor said, 
I don't have anything to do with this. There's nothing here for me to do. This is an argument about words between you and him. Get out. And he throws out the charge against Paul. Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, then takes a pretty severe beating from the people. Sosthenes, this guy who has a connection with the city of Corinth, is now, several years later, about five years later, this letter is being written, and he is serving as Paul's secretary, as Paul dictates the letter, a man named Sosthenes is serving as his secretary. The question is whether they're the same, and that's for you to decide. I'm gonna, my opinion is there's a connection here. Paul, a man who persecuted the church and was miraculously saved by God, and Sosthenes, who persecuted Paul, and after a severe being, a beating, may have been ministered to by Paul, resulting in his salvation. Now, what's interesting is, later in the chapter, Paul refers to another chief ruler of the synagogue, one who served before Sosthenes, who was saved and Paul baptized. Did it happen twice? Did the chief ruler of the synagogue become a Christian and then start serving with Paul? The people reading this letter letter certainly would have known who Sosthenes was. And that's where I make the connection. And that's where I do wonder, is the Sosthenes in chapter 18 of Acts the same? That connection would be made and the ears of the Corinthian people would perk up. Verse 2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. This is the church of God. It's not the church of man. It's not the church of Paul. It's not the church of any other preacher or person. It's the church of God. To them who are sanctified, verse 2 says. To them who are set apart as holy for God's possession and God's use. Called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. They were called to be saints or saints by calling. Just as Paul was called to be an apostle, the, Corinthian, the uh, Christians in Corinth were called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Here's the first clear call to unity in Paul's letter. The first clear call. Verse 10 is his plea. But Paul is setting the stage to get to verse 10. And the key word is with. The NIV and the ESV use together with all. The key word is with. We cannot do this alone. 
We cannot stand alone. We are united together with other believers who call upon the same Lord. I think it was John Chrysostom. You don't have to quote me on that. I think it was John Chrysostom who said, If places divide Christians, yet a common Lord unites them. Paul hits the unity message right at the start. Don't miss this, Corinthian church. Don't miss this. Look at verse 3. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this is Paul's common salutation. Uh, if, If you read through the Pauline epistles enough, you recognize Paul Uh, wishes grace. Oh, may God's favor be upon you, dear reader. And may you have peace. But it's interesting that in verse 4, Paul says they already have God's grace. The emphasis here, what they need is peace because of the contentions and the divisions within the church. They need peace. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Paul gives thanks for the grace that God's given to the church through Christ. Paul and Sosthenes are recipients of this grace. And so are the believers in Corinth. Look at verse 5. That in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance, And in all knowledge, Paul says, you are rich, Corinthian church. You are rich in the preaching of the word and in the interpretation, in the knowledge of the word. He's referencing spiritual gifts here. He's referencing speaking gifts, prophecy, tongues. He's Referencing the knowledge gifts, discernment, and interpretation. God has blessed the Corinthian church with every spiritual gift. And it's because they're part of the body of Christ that they've been given the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of them. And they're rich in these gifts. But spiritual gifts are not to be abused. As the Corinthians have been doing. And that's one of the reasons Paul wrote the letter to address their behavior. Instead, spiritual gifts are to be used for the good of all the church, to edify and build up the body of Christ. Verse 6 says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. The testimony of Christ was confirmed. God gave effect to the gospel in the Corinthian church. The object and author of the testimony is Jesus Christ. God securely planted his word there. And that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, in verse 5, were present in the church, bears testimony to the effectiveness of Paul's message about Christ. All of the spiritual gifts are present there. That's what verse 7 is saying, so that you come behind in no gift. 
But the people longed for the gifts that they considered more important. This is a self-centered culture, remember. They wanted the gifts that made them look better to the other believers in the church rather than using the ones they were given. This was a problem there. People wanted to look more important. Verse 7, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, it is your responsibility to serve. It's your responsibility to use the gifts that God has given you until the day that Jesus Christ returns. That is your responsibility, Christians. Verse 8, who shall also confirm you unto the end, and that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ who will confirm them to the end. This is God's guarantee that they will be in his presence at Christ's return. Praise the Lord. You'll be confirmed to the end. Now is your day to work. Now is your day to serve. Now is your day to remain faithful, Corinthians. Now is the day to use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. All Christians will stand blameless when Christ returns. Let me talk about this word, blameless. Ah, whew. That word blameless um, does not refer to being arrested and brought before the court and being found not guilty. That's not what blameless means. Blameless for the Christian means there's no charge. You are not charged. You don't have to go to court. That penalty's been paid. It's done. You are blameless in Christ. Now, I love that. But can I tell you something? I know me. I know Steve Salvis. I know my 54 years of work. And my body of work is dung. And yet God calls me blameless. There's a conflict in my thinking and in what the Bible says. You know what I love even more than the word blameless? The next three words in your Bible. God is faithful. He is the one who calls you blameless. And when God speaks it, it's done. Oh, thank you, God. Look at verse 9. God is faithful, by whom you were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I can count on the fact 
that I'm blameless because of God's faithfulness to me. We have been called, in verse 9, Paul refers to fellowship. The fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's another call to that unity we've been pointing to. It's another call to that unity. Fellowship. We all have a share in Christ. And consequently, we have a share in one another. This is the springboard that Paul uses to argue for unity in the church, starting in verse 10. We'll get there in a second. We've already been there, but I want to go there again. But I want to pause. Gilligan's Island. It went okay in the first service. So weeks ago, weeks and weeks ago, as I'm studying and praying and uh, uh, reading my Bible and and just considering uh, the message for this morning and beyond, it struck me this episode of Gilligan's Island. And I told my wife about it, and I, I... More importantly, I told my son about it because I would never find this episode if it weren't for my son, who's pretty good on a computer, and was able to pull up the exact episode I was looking for. It's in season three, episode 26, I think. And uh, it's about um, uh, a native girl who is in a canoe and she's paddling in the lagoon toward uh, the island where our seven stranded castaways are living at this current time. And she falls out of her canoe. And she can't swim. And Gilligan is the only one who sees this. This ring a bell? If it doesn't ring a bell, think of any other uh, sitcom from the 1960s. It, It played out in several others. This is the one that struck me. He rescues this girl. What happens next? She becomes his servant, right? So it was important that I watch this episode again because I didn't remember all the facts. But it's interesting how Gilligan suddenly becomes the center of this girl's universe. Whatever he's doing, she's there. If he's doing chores, she's there. Takes the rake from him. And starts doing his chores. If he's exercising on that ridiculous bamboo bicycle, she tells him to get off and she does his exercise for him. If he's doing nothing, she's there giving him a back rub and a massage. Her entire focus is centered on Gilligan. And I thought, that's biblical. That's biblical. Because when I think of myself, who was at one time, even at the age of nine years old, drowning in sin and separated from Christ, God saw nine-year-old Steve Salvis and said, I'm going to die for that young man. And he died for me. And he died for me. For you. And he saved me for the, from the penalty of my sin. So what is my response? 
he, if my faith is real, if my faith is real, he is my focus. He is my entire focus. I will live for him. I will serve him. I will be obedient to his will. He is my focus and my foundation. Unpause. Nine verses. Nine verses in the introduction. And this is all I'm going to get to. Nine verses. I want you to look at this. Verse 1. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. All of this, remember, nine verses is building up to verse 10 in Paul's plea for unity. Look at this. Verse 1. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Verse 2. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 3, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, which is given you by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ. Verse 7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's getting ready to talk about unity. Do you think it's an accident that he keeps pointing them to Christ? Their attention must be on Jesus Christ. He must be their focus. Nine times in nine verses, check that. Ten times in ten verses, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul wants to bring their focus all on Jesus Christ before he gets to the subject of unity in the church. Because unity happens here. It starts here in the church. It starts here. Look at verse 10 one more time. Now I beseech you, I plead with you, Corinthian church, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Corinthian believers, your focus must be on Jesus Christ. Put your eyes on him and not on the preacher. Put your eyes on him and not on petty disagreements. Put your eyes on him and do the work of the ministry. Put your eyes on Christ. So here we go. Here's the application. We are a Christ focused church here at Grace. We're a Christ-centered church at Grace. Jesus Christ is our foundation. 
when you walked into the sanctuary, it is Jesus Christ who is preached and who will be preached every Sunday. We proclaim Jesus Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. He is our foundation. Every ministry of this church must be Christ-centered. Our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our children's ministry, our school, our benevolence, every ministry must be centered on Jesus Christ. Every ministry must point people to Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, we need to reevaluate that ministry and either revamp it or get rid of it altogether. Because it's about Christ. That's why we're here. He is our focus. And we are a Christ-centered church. It is all about Jesus Christ here. When our eyes are on Christ, unity happens. When your goal is about reaching the world for Christ, and not on other things, you'll have to wait till next week to get to that part. <laughs> unity happens. Minor disagreements They don't matter anymore. They're not important anymore. Paul is pointing to the one who must be our focus in the church, our our preaching, our teaching, our lives must be focused on Christ, reflecting our faith in him. All right, I did not get to the declarative sentence. I did not get to Jimmy Carter. I am getting to my candy. Okay, so... Blair, the teacher, my wife, the teacher, uh, who's always looking for, you know, different ways, kinesthetic, you know, things to, things you can put your hands on, see, taste, feel, smell, touch, said, hey, what can we give out at the service? She wasn't sure. She had an idea what I was going to preach on. What can we give out that'll be a good... uh, Something they can take with them and remember. I said, well, I don't know. I'm talking about unity. So talking about sticking together in Christ, okay? Sticking together. Get this now. She said, well, how about sticky candy? I said, good. So we're thinking taffy. You can't get good cat taffy. I mean, you got to go to Ocean City for a good taffy. So uh, she's at the store wandering around. She's actually calling me. Okay, yesterday, okay, I have, you know, how about caramel? Caramel? If you don't like caramel, there's uh, Twizzlers, there's Jolly Ranchers, there's a lot of stuff out at the Connections desk. Take a handful and enjoy it, but as you enjoy it. Consider unity in the church. Consider our unity here. Where do we focus our attention? It needs to be on Christ. It needs to be on Christ. As we move forward, it needs to be on Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray together.
We're going to sing a, uh, a final song uh, together. If you have a need, I do not know where you are in Christ today, but if you do not know him as Savior and Lord, I would love to talk to you. Dennis would love to talk to you. Others would love to talk to you. If you want to know more about Jesus, please, please come forward. If that intimidates you, it's okay. See us after the service. We'll still be here. If you want to talk about baptism, if you want to join the church, I had somebody after the first service say, can we join the church next week? They've already been through members class. They're coming forward next week to join the church. I'm excited about that. If you need prayer, we would love to pray for you. But please come. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you. Bind our hearts together in Christ. May we know the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Bless your people today. In Jesus' name.